Hi. Hi. Welcome to Ghoul Gals. I'm Cassandra. And I'm Julie. And today we're talking about ghosts. <laughs> but first, um, this is our 69th episode. Nice. Which I feel like deserves a shout out. <laughs> blaze it. <laughs> That's not right. 69, blaze it. <laughs> uh-huh. Um. Yeah, so I was excited about that. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Episode 69. I wish that my thing were sexier, but it's not. uh... Mine's also not, but it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But also, big Mm -hmm. news. Uh Uh-huh. Guess what, Cassandra? What, Julie? We're using new microphones today. We are. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) That's what this is. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we, we were able to purchase uh, two new microphones, mm-hmm. uh, two sets of headphones, mm-hmm. and a new sound mixer. Yeah. Uh, None of which we had before. <laughs> yes. all <laughs> Literally before. I'm not sure if we should give away all of our secrets, mm. but I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> we were just crowding around a MacBook Pro, a, s- a 2009 <laughs> MacBook Pro. Uh, which we would talk into the 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 built-in speaker. Yep. So that was it. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> which isn't bad. I mean, it sounded pretty good. For I as think. Sad as that sounds, <laughs> like it, yeah, it wasn't too bad. No, but now we have a, an actual setup, which is fantastic. But but also, Cassandra, how did we get this oh, amazing stuff? Oh, right. Um. We got it from our sweet baby patrons. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Um, it was wonderful. Yeah. So we have a Patreon that we've been saving up some money on for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had it up for a good two years. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, the entire 2020 is just, you know, lost <laughs> to time. So, <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, it's been up for a while. So we've been... We didn't intend on purchase, purchasing this. We weren't like intentionally no. saving money, but but then it was there, so yeah. we used it. Why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> so so quick shout out. So thank you to Dan, and to Chloe, and to Cody, uh, who are still our patrons. We've had more <laughs> patrons over over the time, but they're the ones that have like stuck through it. Yeah. Um. So big thank you to you thank guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh. And now let's get to the ghosts. So today we're talking about ghosts. Yes, we are. We are. Very excited. Uh, I love ghosts. Me too. <laughs> Cassandra was like, we were talking about what we were going to do for our uh, poll. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I want to do ghosts. I want to talk about ghosts. <laughs> I, I haven't. I feel like like when we first started, I like you always did a cryptid and then I always did a ghost. And that was just the way that it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I feel like I haven't talked about a ghost in the longest time and I really miss it. <laughs> yes, it's time. <laughs> but thank goodness everybody voted for ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, if they voted for vampire, I would have been like fine with it. But like <laughs> <laughs> you rolling your eyes the whole time. It'd be oh, more fun if this were a ghost. Yeah. Um, speaking of ghosts though, mm-hmm. I may have heard a ghost. <gasps> Uh, recently, what? I almost forgot to mention this. Oh my gosh, that's huge <laughs> yeah. news! Where I was where? Uh, at my work at my office, mm-hmm. I was all alone 
it was on Friday. I don't, it doesn't matter what day it was. It was on mm-hmm. a day when I was at the office all by myself. Okay. I work at a church mm-hmm. and I'm often there by myself. And um, the office is like closed off from the rest of the building mm-hmm. and through the lobby doors. So like there's the when you walk in the door, it's like a little entrance way. Mm-hmm. And then the office is on the left side. And if you keep walking straight, you go into the actual church building. Ah, okay. And I was in there all by myself, just like sitting at my desk, probably doing nothing. And I heard like like a, a voice. Like, I don't know what they said, like, but it was like a clear voice. What? And I was, I, I it very well could have been someone else in the building because it's a pretty, it's, I mean, it's not a big church, but it's big enough. It's not like it's just one room. Yeah, big enough that someone could be somewhere else Yeah, you wouldn't know. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, but as far as I knew, no one was there. Like, all of the groups that were meeting that day had left. Mm. No one else was in the office with me. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, go spy. But it was it. It seemed like it was in like the actual church part, which was not like it, so. It wasn't like near to me. Mm. So I don't know. Yikes! I don't know. It was very <gasps> strange. Could have been a ghost. Could have been a Could've ghost. Did he give you ghost. the shivers? Not really. I was mm. just like, like I like perked up. You know, I was probably on my phone, <laughs> and then I like perked up and was like, "What the fuck was that? Like, who was that? Mm. Who could that have been?" Yikes. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Fun. So who knows? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my ears Sure, why not? Open. It, was, it was a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, nice. Cool. So uh, I did not hear a ghost or see a ghost, but Sad. I just finished a book that Cassandra actually gave me for my birthday. You finished it? I finished it last <gasps> night. It was very, very good. Um, it was super scary. <sighs> Uh, and fun, and it was so. It's set in the twenties, um, and there's like this flapper psychic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and her flapper psychic friend is murdered, and then the the first flapper psychic has to find <laughs> the murderer of the second flapper psychic, mm-hmm. and it was really scary, yeah, uh, because she would like see the dead people. That was the whole thing, yeah. Um, and oh my gosh, it was so scary. The descriptions of the ghosts, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> terrifying i yeah, ooh, yeah. it yeah. was i mean i i got i remember like being genuinely afraid reading like the mo- the rest of the book isn't like particularly scary it's mm-hmm. just pure basic murder mystery i mean it's very well written i think yeah but like the the ghost descriptions are so fucking terrifying yes. to me like oh my god yeah and every time i'm like <laughs> Because, you know, you're reading it and like the 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 character or whatever that's kind of telling you the story kind of mm-hmm. deal, like they don't know what's happening, but you're like, no, 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 no. Like she's like, oh, yeah. I smelled something weird. And I was like, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. <laughs> How do you not know? Because you always smell something weird when a ghost comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I yeah. loved it. Um, It's called The Other Side of Midnight by mm-hmm. Simone St. James. Which cannot be her real name, right? I I don't think so, but, but I love it. I I mean, it's a great pen name. Because <laughs> um, it it doesn't sound like quite fake, mm-hmm. you know. Like it could be fake. It's probably fake. 
but but it also could be very real yeah i hope it's real yeah um I, maybe you want to read her other books too yeah she's she done has a couple other like haunt hunting kind of things she has um things. like five or six other books i think i've read almost all of them and they're god they're just so good they're oh so sexy <laughs> Like, <laughs> like this one, the one I gave you isn't particularly sexy in that way, but like there's a few other ones. I'm like, um, they're not like erotic or anything, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're just like, I mean, they're like the perfect mixture of like romance and like ghosts and vintage aesthetic. Yeah. It's like everything I've ever looked for in a story. And they're so great. I'm so glad that you liked it. Um, yeah, I I loved it. And really? it, it was kind of great because in it, um, one of the characters, he's part of this society that's like debunking mm -hmm. psychics mm -hmm. um, or like, uh, I guess they're looking to see if anything could be real. Yeah. Um, but for the is, most part, it's debunking. Yeah. This is during the like spiritualist craze. Mm -hmm. So. And it's called, what is it? Like the Eng English Society for Psychical research yeah or something yeah which is fantastic because uh segue 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 <gasps> um i'm gonna talk a little bit about uh that t specific time <gasps> yes. and some of those societies that were real yes um just for like a second oh. but the the time period is the same oh so, yes so yes, yes um today i'm gonna talk about thomas lynn bradford which is a hometown boy from detroit exciting hey so, um, in the UK, the Society for Psychical Research was established in 1882 with the aim of scientifically studying and investigating claims of psychic or paranormal matters. So, this is the real one. The book um, was a fake one based on this one. Right. Right. I want to make that clear. Right. Uh, but then also in the U.S., the American Society for Psychical Research was founded just two years later in 1884. Mm. Uh, these early groups had vast memberships of um, very smart individuals, um, very scientific-minded right. people, right? Um, with many conducting experiments of their of their own. So, namely, the study of life after death, and so that wasn't necessarily a new concept when we're talking about this guy. So get ready. Okay. Uh, so there were skeptics like Harry Houdini who set out to pull back the veil on those they believed were charlatans mm -hmm. and reveal their parlor tricks to the public. Mm -hmm. um, and so he made a special pact, which I'm sure that Cassandra knows, but this is just giving some more background. So Houdini made a pact with his wife, Bess, mm -hmm. that if he died, uh, he would attempt to contact her with a coded message only she would know. Right. Uh, but and then and then he died, uh -huh. as we all know, unexpectedly uh -huh. on October thirty first, nineteen twenty six. Did he die in Detroit? I think he did die. In, yes, he died. In That's Detroit what I thought as well. Weird. Which is also weird because that has nothing to do with this guy from Detroit necessarily. But right, right. It's just a, a weird coinky dink. <laughs> <laughs> so Bess then held a seance every year on the anniversary of his passing until after 10 years of silence, she gave up. Yeah. Uh, so this, many people thought that Houdini even couldn't escape the grave. Mm -hmm. That's like the most romantic thing I've ever heard, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, I find that beautiful. Yeah. Like, if I, if I die before you... 
I'll send you a message from the afterlife and only you will be able to understand it. That is I just think it's sweet. so like I know that he did it just so <laughs> cuz he wanted to disprove uh ghosts and spiritualists and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just think that it's so sweet and I think it's so sweet that she's holding a séance every year on the anniversary of his death. Like it's just so cute. Oh my gosh. This is like a couple goals for you. Yeah. <laughs> I better end up with someone who will have a seance for me. Jeez. Even if they don't like come up with the come up with it themselves, they have to at least be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that's not asking too much. I mean, yeah, I think it's obvious that you would be the one that brought it up. <laughs> but true. But still fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, let's get to Thomas. Yes. Thomas Bradford had tried his hand at multiple careers over his life, spending time as an actor, engineer, Mm. and athlete. Yeah. Wow. Uh, In later life, he found a deep interest in spiritualism. And by later life, um, it's his mid to late 40s. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's not. I want to make that clear also. So, he's not like 70 years old. I was like, oh, he's like 68 or something, and he's Uh he's just found this. But no, no. No. Um, He was still quite young. Quite young. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So, he would give lectures on his belief around the Detroit area uh, and even marketed himself as a psychic. Oh. Bradford was also a widower, so it would be no great stretch to presume that the loss of his wife strengthened his obsession with the afterlife sure uh although yeah who knows <laughs> okay so one day bradford put an ad in the paper looking for someone interested in quote spiritualistic science a woman named ruth duran responded ruth is by middle name <gasps> this was me oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I was just thinking when you said he put an ad in the newspaper, I was like, I would answer that. <laughs> and then it was you. It was your middle name, in fact. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. That's just like going to like a psychic reading, like in a room, and then them being like, I'm hearing the name Ruth, and you're like, that's my that's middle my name. That's my middle name. <laughs> and they're like, oh, huh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm seeing a man. Oh, I have a brother. <laughs> <laughs> Is he dead? No. No. <laughs> oh, he will be. <laughs> One day. Someday. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded vaguely threatening. He will be. <laughs> oh, <man>. uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, so Ruth responded. Uh-huh. Uh, and she said, quote, I answered his advertisement through a simple desire to know more about a thing in which I was little versed. Okay. Uh, I am not a spiritualist, nor a believer in the psychic. So Ruth was simply curious. In newspaper reports of the time, Duran is described dismissively as a, quote, social service worker, magazine writer, (coughs) and psychic. But psychic is also in quotes, so they were being rude. Um, When in reality, (laughs) Ruth was a woman of about 40, a respectable writer and lecturer from a prominent Detroit family. Aww. Uh, So when the two met, Bradford explained that he believed there was only one way to prove the existence of the afterlife. Okay. So he said, two minds properly attuned, one of which 
must shed its earthly mantle. <laughs> okay. Uh oh. Uh, does that like, uh, <laughs> foreboding? <laughs> foreboding. Does that mean one of them has to die? And <gasps> oh no! I so would be like, ooh. Hard pass for me. <laughs> Responding to this Craigslist ad was a mistake. <laughs> so Bradford intended to shed his fleshy confinements oh. and contact Duran from the afterlife. Mm. So on February 5th, 1921, Bradford sealed off the room he rented, blew out the pilot light of his <gasps> heater, turned on the gas, and lay in bed breathing the fumes until he died. Ooh. That's a that feels like a bad way to go. Yeah. Right? Like I, all I'm picturing is the beginning of midsummer. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Which is uh, horrifying. Yeah. I don't wow. Yeah. Just oh, like, picturing that part. Yeah. Makes me But upset. I guess realistically you just die in your sleep, right? Probably. Yeah, I think you just like fall asleep. Yeah. But the smell is gross. Yep, anyway. the smell alone. Not worth it. What a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> so investigating police officers found a note still in Bradford's typewriter that read, And it is through scientific facts that I propose to demonstrate clearly the phenomena of spirits and prove that all the phenomena is outside the domain of supernatural. Wow. Uh, he- heavy. Yeah. Uh, well, how fucking dramatic so. also to leave it in your typewriter oh, like that. Oh, right. Because he <laughs> like, was planning it. He knew uh-huh. exactly what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. So he's like, ooh, I'm going to leave this note. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he put on like a nice suit also. <laughs> or like was just in his PJs. Like, would you would you put on mm. nice clothes or would you get in your like your comfy clothes? I would put on nice clothes mm. because maybe they would bury me in those nice clothes, you know? Yeah. They probably wouldn't cut it off for an autopsy, right? I mean, not if they don't have to do an autopsy if the cause of death is obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It is quite obvious. Yeah. So considering that Ruth could not have been said to have deeply held belief in the existence of the afterlife. Right. Did she fully agree to be complicit in the death of another human? (laughs) This This is the question that a lot of people have asked. Yeah. So without her, Bradford's experiment could not take place. Yet he appeared to have found one with ease. Uh, very easily. Was she the first one that responded? To, uh, the only one that responded to his newspaper ad? Hmm. I wonder if he did interviews. Maybe. You know? <laughs> and he's like, she would let me die. <laughs> <laughs> she seems like a heartless bitch. <laughs> Although she claimed to simply want to know more, Such a mild-mannered claim does not seem to marry up with the very real knowledge of a man's imminent suicide. Yeah. So Ruth was reported in the press as being fully aware of Bradford's intentions. However, in police statements, she said that she was a Protestant and that Bradford never made his intentions clear, simply stating that he intended to prove that spirits could communicate with the living. But... Wait. (laughs) I don't... Like, she... If she knew that he was going to kill himself, how is that not clear? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, how is that? Did ma- First of all, why did it say she was a Protestant? What did that have to do with it? I think the fact that suicide is frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she wouldn't. 
I don't know. It would be less she likely that she would go along with it, I guess. Based on her religious beliefs? Yeah. Okay. So second question. Or not second question. Just a general statement. Did she just not believe that he was going that to do it? do it? Maybe. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that, that's what I would be like. I'd be like, oh, yeah, he mentioned this crazy plan, but, like, who thought he was actually going to go through with it? Yeah, and it sounded like she didn't know when also. Like, he wasn't like, I'm going to do it next Thursday. Right. So maybe it was just like, yeah, I'm probably going to, one of us is going to, or, like, <laughs> one of us is going to die. One of us is going <laughs> to die, and I'm not forcing that on you, but, you know, read between the lines. Right. I don't know. <sighs> What a sticky situation. It is. (laughs) Duran's statement was actually the key in helping the police to quickly rule suicide as the cause of death. Which also then I'm like, did she murder him? And she was like, nah, it was just a suicide. He told me. But not clearly. (laughs) I don't know. So at that point then, Ruth Duran set up a seance that lasted for two full weeks. What? She was listening for Bradford to contact her from the grave. She said, quote, I am his friend. If he can cause his spirit to come back to earth, I believe his spirit will come to me first. Well, of course it would, because that was his intention. That was the plan. Yeah. I know. Which also seems weird. I, I am his friend. I don't know. She seems kind of like a I think like she murdered character. him. I yeah. think she killed him. I I am willing to go with that, too. Is this still taking place in Detroit? Mm-hmm. This is all in Detroit. Which also, I'm like, where did they do the seance? Where did he kill himself? Where's everything? <laughs> 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 Obviously, Cassandra had one more that she was waiting for, but I could not. I had no idea. Uh, where like, is he buried murder. was what where I was thinking. Because I, I was like, what if he's buried in your fucking backyard? No. <laughs> He could be. <laughs> he could be. Maybe this is why the name sounded familiar to me. Because I've it. seen his headstone. You've seen his grave. <gasps> yeah. Or his... Ooh. Ooh, what if he has a mausoleum? Probably not. <gasps> no, he wouldn't. Because if, he, he if, he's, in a tiny if he's renting a room, then he'd know. <laughs> he was like, yeah. He, he had a bunch Ruth of different Ruth might, jobs. though. Ruth might. Because she comes from a good Detroit family. Yeah. Interesting. Ooh. <laughs> All the possibilities. <laughs> okay. okay. So... <laughs> After two days, the New York Times ran a story titled Dead Spiritualist Silent, in which it was reported that Duran had yet to receive any transmissions from the afterlife. The New York Times, wow. I know. Yeah, <laughs> this is apparently a big story. Yeah. I mean, it is dramatic. It is very dramatic. Uh, I feel like if I did this, though, no one would pick it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Now in the time of, like, you know, clicks. Yeah, being someone would post it on Twitter and it would get like three re- three retweet- re- retweets. As long as one of them is like... Uh, one of them is my dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doug. <laughs> no, I was hoping that one would be that guy from Ghost Hunters. So I'm blanking on his Zach name. Baggins. Zach Baggins. Ghost Adventures, as first as of all. Oh, what did I say? Ghost Hunters, okay. which is a completely different show. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Oh, you would have to invite them to to investigate. Oh my gosh, I would I would tweet. I would just make stuff up. Just be Twitter, like, yeah, she's and then tweet every hour on the hour, <laughs> tagging Zach Baggins until he responded. You should be like, come back, Detroit's native son, Zach Baggins. <laughs> um, this ghost is haunting stuff. Mm-hmm. Even though I probably wouldn't no. be. She's gonna come back. We're yeah. doing a two week seance. Mm-hmm. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> 
Amazing. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's all set. <laughs> so the local press watched Bradford's case closely, but with little empathy. <laughs> Instead, much like today's tabloids or gossip columns, they were interested in that which sold papers. Of course. Constant updates as to the status of the spectral message. Uh, so a few days later, the New York press reported that... Though more than 40 hours have elapsed since the body of Thomas L. Bradford, psychic investigator and lecturer, was found in the gas-filled room of the house where he lived, no message has come back from the spirit world to Mrs. Ruth Duran. That's so, like, formal still. It is. (laughs) I want it to be, like, gossipy. I know. Yeah. Like trash. (laughs) (laughs) So several psychics clamoring at reporters claimed to have made contact with the professor, but all such claims were dismissed. Hmm. Uh, So Duran held true to her part of the bargain, holding a two-week-long vigil in her own house, waiting for Bradford's message. Oh. Uh, So I guess we have to figure out where she lives. Cool, yeah. Uh, However, he did not come through. But three days after the suicide, another woman (gasps) named Lulu Mack... Uh, claimed to have encountered his spirit at another seance in another house. A known spiritualist and theosophist, <laughs> uh, he, she told her tale to the local newspaper a week after Bradford's death. So during a seance, Mac reportedly heard the name of Thomas Bradford shouted above the table. She claimed to have no knowledge of the case, but would go on to speak widely of her experiences in the press. Uh, I call bullcrap she is yeah that. no she's obviously heard about this and was like mm-hmm. dollar signs in her eyes <laughs> <laughs> for me lulu mm-hmm. so max said that bradford could not easily communicate with duran as his suicide resulted in a weak spirit and that it would need to be purified before entering heaven so he may be strong enough to communicate once he reaches the second or third altitude mac explained Okay. <laughs> Which is all sounds That sounds like like a cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so she said, quote, I have heard the call of his spirit. It is calling to me even now, but I cannot hear the message it would send because the spirit is too weak. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So one week after Bradford's birth into spirit life on February 12th, what a drag way to say that. <laughs> uh, Duran said she felt a strange presence, which she believed to be Bradford. She had the vague notion that he would contact her that evening, but he was not strong enough to manifest on his own. So the papers reported, Psychic students throughout the city agreed to concentrate at nine that evening on the professor to accelerate the return of his spirit. Love it. Leading spiritualistic pastors urged their congregations to join the concentration party. Wow. Yeah. First of all, how many people would that have been? (laughs) (laughs) Ten. (laughs) But that reminds me of um, Madame Leota from The Haunted Mansion. Oh, my gosh. Uh They're like, they can't quite hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah. That's so amazing. I wish that we were alive for this. Uh, me too. Like, what a dramatic time to <laughs> mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. there. So at 9 p.m., the hour appointed by Duran's premonition, she and three witnesses, who reportedly did not believe in spiritualism, gathered in her dimly lit parlor that evening. Oh, beautiful. When she felt the sensation of Bradford's presence, Duran put her hands to her temples. Turn out the light, she instructed. 
Someone turned the lamp off. <laughs> uh, I hear his voice, Duran said. It is faint, but it grows more distinct. Ooh. It is the professor. Ooh. Then she said, write this. <gasps> In short bursts, Duran dictated a message from Bradford. Oh my god. I am the professor who speaks to you from the beyond. I have broken through the veil. <gasps> the help of the living has greatly assisted me. Oh my I simply went to sleep. I woke up and at first did not realize that I had passed on. I found no great change apparent. I expected things to be much different, but they are not. Oh. Human forms are retained in outline, but not in the physical. I have not traveled far. I am still much in the darkness. I see many people. They appear natural. There is a lightness of responsibility here unlike in life. One feels full of rapture and happiness. Persons of like natures associate. <laughs> cool. Okay. I am associated with other investigators. I wonder if you saw Houdini. Ooh. Uh, probably not. <laughs> um, I do not repent my act. Uh, ooh. Wow. My present plane is but the first series. I'm still investigating the future planes regarding which we in this plane are as ignorant as our earthly beings of the life just beyond human life. Woof. The <laughs> is, that, is that the end of the message? That's the end of the message. That is a long-ass message. It is. I really thought it was just going to be like, I am the professor. <laughs> Things are cool here. <laughs> bye. La, 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 bye. <laughs> you know, like, I mean... I mean, that's just so, like, long and verbose. Oh, and yeah. Which makes me, I don't know. I right, don't know. Right. So then Bradford's voice grew weak. The light flickered back on, and he was gone. Is she the only one? Ruth is the only one who could hear him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it'd be easy enough for her to be like, yeah, well, we had kind of talked about it. Like, yeah, of he course. was going to come to me only. Yeah. But. Yeah. Sure. So, the... Are you certain beyond doubt that you heard from Bradford? One of the witnesses asked Duran. I am convinced, Duran replied. I never heard a spirit voice before. That was the professor without a doubt. <laughs> so Bradford's message does not read as anything particularly striking or different to many spiritual spiritualist texts of the time and aligns far more with theosophical ideas of the afterlife yeah. rather than the aforementioned Judeo-Christian ideas of heaven and eternity. Yeah. So as such, the note has been placed under scrutiny since it's <laughs> dictation. <laughs> it's quote, <laughs> dictation. So despite Duran's efforts, the Bradford experiments failed to provide the satisfactory proof of the professor's consciousness beyond death. Yeah. So did Duran receive a message from the professor's spirit, or was it simply a lie from a woman who had warmed to the limelight or pressure from the press? Yes. All one can truly hope is that Bradford's death was not in vain, oh. th that some lasting good came from his well-meaning sacrifice. It was in vain. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like Thomas Bradford who? <laughs> Until like yesterday. Oh, God, so. yeah. I mean, sorry to him, but <laughs> sorry to that man. Sorry to th <laughs> I don't know who that I is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love spiritualism. Me too. It's really interesting and yeah. wild and how they were like trying to look at it through such a scientific mm -hmm. worldview. Mm -hmm. um, 
because science was just starting to like really give them concrete answers and so they're like yeah. all right let's use it for yeah spiritualism but yeah. like but then nothing came nothing ever worked so <laughs> who knows yeah they wanted to believe mm-hmm. love it we should definitely find out where the fuck he is buried where ruth is buried yes. she's definitely dead by now <laughs> <laughs> she's got it she was 40 in 1920 <laughs> She's probably She's dead. She's probably dead. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's hear Cassandra's. Mine is great. Okay. So um, I had some trouble finding something, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent Julie like <laughs> three separate <laughs> text messages. So funny. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then like two hours later, I was like, you know what? I lied. I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then, like 30 minutes later, I was like, actually, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> ghosts it's so hard to find something like good mm-hmm. you know there's i mean there's tons and tons of stuff to f- of stories but like like the first one i found it was a lot of like actual history about families about oh. the family involved uh-huh. but it wasn't a lot about the hauntings like they were just like like the, the the hauntings were like a little paragraph at the bottom that was like <laughs> oh and by the way people she have came back people have uh right. reported hearing a baby crying you know like mm-hmm. big fucking deal you know <laughs> <laughs> um so it took some time but i'm very happy with what i came up with which is the cock lane ghost the cock lane ghost uh-huh so cock lane is a street <laughs> in London. Oh, <laughs> it does sound kind of like Cockney. Yeah, I wonder if that's yeah, where but it came it's from. just cock, <laughs> <laughs> like C O C K space lane. Extremely fitting for episode sixty nine. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy that this happened. Like this, like the stars aligned for this episode. I'm so pleased. So it's great. It's a very long story. Just uh, FYI. All right. So the Cock Lane Ghost was a purported haunting that attracted mass public attention in 1762. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that surprising? Yeah. That's yeah. old. Yeah. I was picturing like like the same ta- like late 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. Like Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. The location was a lodging in Cock Lane, a short road adjacent to London's Smithfield Market, and a few minutes' walk from St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, So people who are familiar with London will know where those places are. (laughs) I am not, so I do not. (laughs) The event centered on three people, William Kent, Richard Parsons, and Parsons' daughter, Elizabeth. I mean, this is... There's more people and there's a lot more people involved, but um, I guess these are the three main players the at one. the end of it. Okay. okay. So in about 1756, 1757, William Kent, a person who lends money, which sounds terrible. Um, like he, a villain. Yeah. Like Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he married Elizabeth Lines, the daughter of a grocer. They moved to Stoke Ferry, where Kent kept an inn, and later the local post office. Wow. Jack of all trades. I guess. They were apparently very much in love, but their marriage 
was short-lived as within a month of the move, Elizabeth died no. during childbirth. No. Yeah. Ugh. Her sister, Frances, commonly known as Fanny. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> had, during Elizabeth's pregnancy, moved in with the couple, and she stayed to care for the infant and its father. The boy did not survive long, and rather than leave, Fanny stayed on to take care of William in the house. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. Uh-huh. The two soon began a relationship. There we go. But canon law appeared to rule out marriage. What? When... Kent traveled to London to seek advice. He was told that as Elizabeth had borne him a living son, a union with Fanny was impossible. What? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Interesting. Yeah. So in January 1759, he gave up the post office, left Fanny, and moved to London, intending to purchase a place in some public office. In the hope that business would erase the passion that he had infor- unfortunately indulged. Ooh. Which also sounds like Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> I need to suffer. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Let me put all of my heart into my work. Mm-hmm. Fanny, meanwhile, stayed with one of her brothers at Lynham. Despite her family's disapproval of their relationship, Fanny began to write passionate letters to Kent, Ooh. filled with repeated entreaties to spend the rest the rest of their lives together oh wow yeah she was not letting it go no Mm. he eventually allowed her to join him at lodgings in east greenwich near london the two decided to live together as man and wife (gasps) scandalous making wills in each other's favor and hoping to remain discreet interesting i mean at that time Mm -hmm. i mean even now like you could just move somewhere Uh and be like this is my husband or like this is my wife and then no one would look into it no one would be like show me the paper yeah show me your marriage certificate yeah people do that all the time i mean people did that in the 50s when like they were having an affair having affairs or like sleeping with Sleeping together when they were not married. Mm-hmm. And they would be like, yeah, we're married at the hotel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> huh. um, yeah so it's very scandalous. Yeah. In this, however, they did not reckon on Fanny's relations. The mm-hmm. couple moved to lodgings near the mansion house, which is just some house in London. <laughs> but their landlord there may have learned of their relationship from Fanny's family expressing his contempt by refusing to repay a sum of money Kent loaned him, which was about 20 pounds. Oh, no. In response, Kent had him arrested. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) While attending early morning prayers at the Church of St. Sepulchre Without Newgate. These fucking English names. It's all like Sepulchre-Without-Newgate. ridiculous i know uh william kent and fanny met richard parsons the officiating clerk although he was generally considered respectable (laughs) parsons was known locally as a drunk and was struggling to provide for his family oh (laughs) no he listened to the couple's plight and was sympathetic offering them the use of lodgings in his home on cock lane To the north of St. Sepulchre. Already forgot about it. <laughs> and then it came back and it's still very funny. It's funny. It's going to be funny every time. <laughs> <laughs> so 
located along a narrow, winding thoroughfare, similar to most of central London's streets. The three-story house was in a respectable but declining area, and comprised a single room on each floor, connected by a winding staircase. <gasps> a spooky staircase. Yeah. Mm. Shortly after Mrs. D- Mr. and Mrs. Kent, as they called themselves, <laughs> moved in, Kent loaned Parsons 12 guineas to be repaid at a rate of a guinea per month, which wow. I don't know. <laughs> I don't it, know what that guineas means. Guineas are less than a pound, right? Or is it more than a I pound? I think it's like a pound and a shilling or something. Oh. Like a <laughs> I tried to money. I tried to look it up because they don't use guineas anymore. No. So I was like, okay, so what does this mean? And they're like, well, it's about a pound and five, a pound or a pound and one shilling or something. I don't know. Got like a hay pennies thrown in there somehow. Like I don't don't understand understand modern English money, (laughs) let alone this ridiculous shit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's one area where America really did like okay with. yeah we simplified it yeah a lot yeah we don't use the metric system for some reason but mm-hmm. our money is pretty simple <laughs> um so this i don't know if this is i don't even know if this is a good deal i'm assuming that it is <laughs> because he would have been like hey if you're discreet about this you can pay off 12 guineas a, like just one a month a dollar a month i don't know Anyway, um, it was while Kent was away at a wedding in the country that the first reports of strange noises began. (gasps) Parsons had a wife and two daughters. The elder, Elizabeth, was described as a little artful girl about 11 years of age. A little artful girl. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Is that a nice way? Like, I feel like it's shady. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you know, she's artsy. She's like tricky. Yeah. She's she's artful in the things she says, you know? Yeah, like fanciful or something. Yeah. Like it's not a compliment. Mm -mm. I don't know. Yeah. She's (laughs) a sneak. Yeah. Yeah. Sneaky sneak. Um, Kent asked Elizabeth to stay with Fanny, who was then several months into a pregnancy. (gasps) Oh. And to share her bed while he was away. The two reported hearing scratching and rapping noises. Which, rapping, like, knocking. Tap, tap. Yeah, mm-hmm. not like um, hip-hop. Yeah, my name is Fanny and I'm here to say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, these were attributed by Mrs. Parsons to a neighboring cobbler. Although when the noises recurred on a Sunday, Fanny asked if the cobbler was working that day. Mrs. Parsons told her that he was not. James Franzen, a neighbor, was another <laughs> witness. <laughs> He's <laughs> just a neighbor. They're just listing all these, like, places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> After visiting the house, he reported seeing a ghostly white figure ascend the stairs. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Terrified, he returned home, where Parsons later visited him and claimed also to have seen a ghost. No. Yeah. As Fanny was only weeks away from giving birth, Kent made arrangements to move to a property at Bartlett's Court in Clerkenwell. Clerkenwell? (laughs) Oh, man. That's great. I feel like my friends have talked about that. I feel like that's a hip place. Clerkenwell? Clerkenwell. Clerkenwell sounds like just so dinky and stupid <laughs> uh you know silly town idiot kind of thing like 
Oh, it's just clerk and well. <laughs> oh, Dinky clerk little and clerk well. and well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's great. Dirty. What is. Oh my God, what am I thinking of? Dinky, 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 dinky. Dinky donuts from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> He's not eating it. Dirty, smelly, dinky donuts. <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway. Okay, so Fanny was only weeks away from giving birth, so they moved to a different property um, in Clerkenwell. (laughs) But by January 1760, it was not ready, so they moved instead to a, quote, inconvenient apartment nearby, (laughs) intending only a temporary stay. So I'm assuming that this uh, inconvenient apartment is probably like a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's smelly there's roaches uh-huh for sure no there's like hay on the floor <laughs> 1700s i was like what <laughs> and then also my floor is covered in hay because oh, of the rabbits yeah, which true. i just thought of now i would not true. have thought of that if you hadn't said anything <laughs> okay so hay on the floor isn't bad <laughs> <laughs> no it's bad but it is sometimes in this case it definitely was <laughs> however on January 25th, Fanny fell ill, <gasps> probably from all the hay. No. <laughs> the attending doctor diagnosed the early stages of an eruptive fever and agreed <gasps> with Kent that their lodgings were inadequate for someone at so critical a stage of pregnancy. Ooh, so it's probably damp. Yeah. It's like wet Yuck. and cold and smelly mm. and gross and slimy. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like if things are wet and cold, they're naturally slimy. They gotta be slimy, yeah. Okay, so she, so Fanny was moved to the house they originally intended to stay in. Mm. The next day, her doctor returned and met with her apothecary, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Both agreed that Fanny's symptoms were indicative of smallpox. No, not the yeah. pox. Mm-hmm. Mm. She got the pox. <laughs> On hearing this, Fanny sent for an attorney to ensure the will she had had made was in good order and that Kent would inherit her estate. Oh, wait, she has an estate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. An acquaintance of Kent's, Stephen Aldrich, rector of St. John Clerkenwell, <coughs> reassured her that she would be forgiven for her sins. She died on February 2nd. No. Yeah. What about so, the baby? Uh, the baby also died. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I'm like, maybe this is the maybe baby. Maybe the baby lived. Live well. No, no. <laughs> that ba- even if she didn't die of smallpox, mm-hmm. the baby still probably would have died. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure. Yeah. As sole executor of Fanny's will, Kent ordered a coffin, but fearful of being prosecuted should the nature of their relationship become known, asked that it remain nameless. What? That's shady. Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. On registering the burial, he was, however, forced to give a name, and he gave her his own. Fanny's family was notified, and her sister Anne Lines, who lived nearby, attended the funeral at St. John's. When Anne learned of the terms of Fanny's will, which left her brothers and sisters half a crown each and (gasps) Kent the rest, she tried but failed to block it in Doctors' Commons, which is a society of lawyers practicing civil law. The bulk of Kent's inheritance uh, was Fanny's 150-pound share of her dead brother Thomas's estate. Oh. Yeah. 
This also included some land owned by Thomas, sold by the executor of his estate, John Lines, and Kent received Fanny's share of that too, which was almost 95 pounds. Her family resented this. Legal problems with Lines' sale meant that each of Thomas's beneficiaries had to pay 45 pounds in compensation to the purchaser, but Kent refused, claiming that he had already spent the money in settling Fanny's debts. In response to this, on October, in October 1761, John Lyons began proceedings against Kent in the Court of Chancery. Meanwhile, Kent became a stockbroker and remarried in 1761. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's just popping up everywhere, starting a whole new life. Yeah. With a whole new wife. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy's life is so crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, not it sounds boring. Like, so many parts of it are like... He became a stockbroker, <laughs> you know, like boring, uh-huh. but like it's, sh- he keeps changing jobs mm-hmm. and like getting married to random women. <laughs> Who are these women? He's being like, oh, I'm just going to focus on my business and not women. And then he just right. has so many wives and not wives even. <laughs> <laughs> he is truly the, um, like, I'm just going to focus on myself and love <laughs> will find me. And he's like, oh, love found me. <laughs> like... <laughs> Tweets that are sent like 10 minutes apart. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Okay, so echoing the actions of Kent's previous landlord, Parsons had not repaid Kent's loan, um, of which about three guineas was outstanding. Mm. And Kent therefore instructed his solicitor to sue him. Okay. He's horrible. He has tons of money now, right? Or some money. I mean, 150 pounds doesn't sound like a lot, but back then it must have been millions. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds right. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, He managed to recover the debt by January 1762, just as the mysterious noises at Cock Lane began again. No. Yeah. Ooh. Catherine Friend was her actual name (laughs) had lodged there shortly after the couple left but moved out when she found the noises which had returned intermittently and which were becoming more frequent could not be stopped oh they apparently emanated from elizabeth parsons who suffered fits and the house was regularly disturbed by unexplained noises likened at the time to the sound of a cat scratching a chair (gasps) ew which is irritating uh (laughs) when you know what it is and then even more irritating i imagine when you don't know what it is yeah and you can't just like be like stop it the cat stop it ichabod stop (laughs) (laughs) you have a scratcher over there (laughs) (laughs) reportedly um determined to discover the source Richard Parsons had a carpenter remove the wainscoting around Elizabeth's bed. He approached John Moore, assistant preacher at St. Sepulchre's and rector of the St. Bartholomew the Great in West Smithfield. The presence of one ghost presumed to be to belong to Fanny's sister Elizabeth, who was Kent's first wife, mm-hmm. if you remember. Yeah. <laughs> had already been noted while Fanny lay dying. And the two concluded that the spirit now haunting Parsons' house must be that of Fanny Lyons herself. No. Yeah. The notion that a person's spirit might return from the dead to warn those still alive was a commonly held belief, and the presence of two apparently restless spirits was therefore an obvious sign to both men that each ghost had an important message to disclose. Ooh. 
Parsons and Moore devised a method of communica- of communication. One knock for yes, two knocks for no. Yes. Using this system, the ghost appeared to claim that Fanny had been murdered. What? Yeah. No way. Uh-huh. Wait, with smallpox? <laughs> I don't I want to see where this goes. I'm in. I'm Who in. said it was smallpox? <laughs> Ooh. It was conjectured that the mysterious figure in white, which so terrified James Franzen, presumed to be the ghost of Elizabeth, had appeared there to warn her sister of her impending death. Stop it. No. As the first ghost had seemingly vanished, this charge against Kent that he murdered Elizabeth was never acted on. But through repeated questioning of Fanny's ghost, it was divined that she had died not from the effects of smallpox, Mm. but rather from arsenic (gasps) poisoning. Oh, no. (laughs) My favorite kind of murder. (laughs) The deadly toxin had apparently been administered by Kent about two hours before Fanny died, and now it was supposed her spirit wanted justice. No. Moore had heard from Parsons how Kent had pursued the debt he was owed, and he had also heard from Anne Lines who had complained that as Fanny's coffin lid was screwed down, she had not been able to see her sister's corpse. Moore thought that Fanny's body might not show any visible signs of smallpox and that if she had been poisoned, the lack of scarring would have been something Kent would rather keep hidden. Mm -hmm. Yikes. This this next, uh, the first part of this next sentence is so wonderful i i I italicized it oh my gosh (laughs) as a clergyman with inclinations towards methodism he was inclined to trust the ghost oh my god (laughs) (laughs) as a methodist i trust the ghost that's fantastic i love it but it's just so great. I feel like I want to say that one day. Yeah. I want to be like in a situation where I'm like, well, I for one trust the ghost. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How do we put ourselves in a situation like that? I know. We got to figure it out. Yeah. And soon. <laughs> um, but for added support, he enlisted the aid of Thomas Broughton, an early Methodist. Broughton visited Cock Lane on January 5th and left convinced that the ghost was real. <gasps> The story spread through London. The Public Ledger, a newspaper, began to publish detailed accounts of the phenomenon, and Kent fell under public suspicion as a murderer. (gasps) Murder. (laughs) Murder. (laughs) 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 After reading the veiled accusations made against him in the Public Ledger, Kent determined to clear his name. And accompanied by a witness to see went to see John Moore. The Methodist showed the Methodist <laughs> showed Kent the list of questions he and Parsons had drawn up for the ghost to answer. One concerned William and Fanny's marital status, mm-hmm. prompting Kent to admit that they never married. There it is. Yeah. Moore told him he did not think he was a murderer. Rather, he believed the spirit's presence indicated that, quote, there was something behind darker than all the rest, and that if he would go to Parsons' house, 
he might be a witness to the same and convinced of its reality, end quote. On January 12th, therefore, Kent enlisted the aid of the two physicians who attended Fanny in her last days, and with Broughton went to Cock Lane. On the house's upper floor, Elizabeth Parsons was publicly undressed and with her younger sister was put to bed. What? What a weird thing to do. I know. Okay. For what purpose? I mean, I guess maybe to see, to like be like, see, no wires or something. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. It's okay. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, The audience sat around the bed positioned in the center of the room. They were warned that the ghost was sensitive to disbelief and told that they should accord it due respect. When the seance began, I like that we're both doing seance episodes. I feel like we tried to do a seance episode and we were like, I can't find anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. It's not going to work. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, When the seance began, a relative of Parsons, Mary Fraser, ran around the room shouting, Fanny, Fanny, why don't you come? Do come. Pray, Fanny, come. Dear Fanny, come. <laughs> I'm just imagining like, an insane woman running around <laughs> the room screaming. Uh-huh. When nothing happened, Moore told the group that the ghost would not come as they were making too much noise. Oh, my gosh. He asked them to leave the room. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> you can leave. Uh, telling them that he would try to contact the ghost by stamping his foot. About ten minutes later, they were told the ghost had returned mm-hmm. and that they should re-enter the room, which... By stamping his foot? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't... It also makes, like, publicly undressing his daughter mm-hmm. um, useless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because then they all just left. Yep. Anyway, um, Moore then started to run through his and Parsons list of questions. The first was, are you the wife of Mr. Kent? Two knocks. For no? I heard it for that one. <laughs> one knock for yes, okay. two knocks two for knocks no. Two knocks for no. No. <laughs> it's Fanny, maybe. Or anyone, any other woman in the world. <laughs> <laughs> or man. Except his current wife. Who'd still be no. Um, did you die naturally? (gasps) Two knocks. (gasps) By poison? (gasps) One knock. Did any person other than Mr. Kent administer it? Two knocks. (gasps) (laughs) This would have, I mean, I would have been like, like peeing my pants and like (laughs) shivering and like, (laughs) if I witnessed this, especially back then, Mm -hmm. forget about it. No. Yeah. (laughs) I would have been like, I saw a ghost. (laughs) After more questions, a member of the audience exclaimed, Kent, ask this ghost if you shall be hanged. (gasps) (laughs) That is so rude. I know. I love it. (laughs) He did so, and the question was answered by a single knock. (gasps) Stop it. Kent exclaimed, thou art a lying spirit. Thou art not the ghost of my fanny. That sounds exactly like Scrooge. (laughs) No spirit, no. <laughs> You're just You're a lying. liar. <laughs> she would never have said any such thing. Mm-hmm. Public interest in the story grew when it was discovered that the ghost appeared to follow Elizabeth Parsons. 
She was removed to the house of a Mr. Bray, where on January 14th, in the presence of two unidentified nobles, more knocking sounds were heard. (laughs) Okay, cool. (laughs) Unidentified nobles? So it could have been been the king. (laughs) (gasps) No wonder he wanted to keep his name out of it. (laughs) (laughs) A few days later, she was returned to Cock Lane, where on January 18th, another seance was held. In attendance were Kent, the apothecary, and a local parish priest and incumbent of St. John Clerkenwell, Stephen Aldrich. On that occasion, when a clergyman used a candle to look under the bed, the ghost refused to answer. Mm. Fraser claiming, quote, she, the ghost, loving not light, end quote. Wow. So she didn't like light, so, so she so didn't there, show up. The whole thing is that they think that she's underneath the dark bed. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> I hate it a lot. I don't. Do you hate it because it's stupid or because it's Cause scary? It's scary. <laughs> I don't. Like I thought that. at first that you hated it because it was stupid, <laughs> and then I saw your face, and I was like, "Oh no, she's scared." <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to think about ghosts underneath. I mean, my fair, bed. yeah. Knocking. Yeah, I mean, yes I know. I, mm. I, I I'm picturing like an empty room with two idiot men who are like, she doesn't like the light from your candle. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds stupid to me. Like peeking mm. under the bed, that sounds stupid. Yeah. But then, like thinking about the 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 ghost from Simone St. James stories being under the bed, being under the bed. I'm like, oh wait, mm. no, I no, do no. not like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, okay, no. fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. After a few minutes of silence, the questioning continued, but when Moore asked if the ghost would appear in court against Kent, okay. Fraser refused to ask the question. <laughs> because it's a stupid question. What is Although a, I don't what think court a ghost in <laughs> England or anywhere else in the world would be like, yes. Uh, who t- please who's, bring up your next who's witness? Who's the next witness? And it'd be like, we had to bring in the bed. She she doesn't like light. It has to stay dark. Like, come on. You guys all have to believe in her or else she won't show up. <laughs> she'll be so angry she'll leave. Also, everybody shut your, tra- shut your traps. Because shut your mouth. You can't be too loud. Oh, my god. Witness for the prosecution. <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> oh, only in England. Uh, when they lived at cock lane <laughs> william and fanny had employed a maid esther carrots carlisle stop <laughs> it what does she have red hair is this an anne of green yes. Gables situation she does have red hair oh my God. so she was called carrots carrots <laughs> <laughs> she had since moved to a new job and knew nothing of the haunting but mm. seeking evidence of fanny's poisoning more went to question her carrots told him <laughs> that fanny had been unable to speak in the days before she died so more invited her to a seance held on january 19th mm. once there she was asked to confirm that fanny had been poisoned but carrots remained adamant that fanny had said nothing to her Telling the party that William and Fanny had been, quote, very loving and lived very happy together, end quote. Wow. Kent arrived later that night, this time with James Franzen and priests William Dodd and Thomas Broughton. Fraser began with her usual introduction before Moore sent her out, apparently irritated by her behavior. Right. (laughs) Typical. (laughs) 
He then asked the party of about 20 to leave the room, calling them back a few minutes later. Okay. To this, set up his little knocking uh-huh, tool. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. I mean, this is the 18th century, so people are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? There's I no mean, fucking science. They don't know what germs are yet. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> So I'm sure I'm sure no one was like, well, this is weird. <laughs> this time, the seance centered on Carrots, who addressed the ghost directly. Are you my mistress? One knock followed by scratches. Ew. Yeah. Are you angry with me, madam? Oh. One knock. What? Then I am sure, madam, you may be ashamed of yourself, for I never hurt you in my life. Nice. Good for you, carrots. I was standing up for yourself against a ghost. Right. <laughs> I love that. I mean, back then it would have been scary. I wouldn't have done it. I would have been like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> what know what I, I did. <laughs> At this, the seance was ended. Fraser and Franzen <laughs> remained alone in the room, the latter reportedly too terrified to move. Ooh. Fraser asked if he would like to pray and was angered when he apparently could not. <gasps> That sound, this sounds like ghost adventures It sounds now. like a demon. Uh-huh. Maybe it's not a ghost. It's a demon. The seance resumed and Franzen later returned to his home, where he and his wife were, were reportedly tormented by the ghosts <gasps> knocking in their bedchamber. Oh, no. Mm. Scary. Mm-mm. On January 20th, another seance was held, this time at the home of a Mr. Bruin on the corner of nearby Hosier Lane. <gasps> Among those attending was a man, quote, extremely desirous of detecting the fraud and discovering the truth of this mysterious affair, end quote. Fair. Me too. Yeah. Who later sent his account of the night to the London Chronicle. He arrived with a small party, which included James Penn of St. Anne's and... Which included James Penn. (laughs) Inside the house, a member of the group positioned himself against the bed, but was asked by one of the ghost sympathizers to move. Ghost sympathizers? (laughs) Her fan club. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't like it when people sit there. That's like what are what are what are like actors like like celebrities have like I guess their assistants being like oh she doesn't like when people do that <laughs> yeah sorry you have to take like the the red skittles out yeah <laughs> she won't eat them yeah she doesn't like the green ones wow yeah um, he refused and following a brief argument the ghost supporters left Ooh. the gentleman then asked if Parsons would allow his daughter to be moved to a room at his house but was refused. For the remainder of the night, the ghost made no sound, while Elizabeth Parsons, now extremely agitated, displayed signs of convulsions. When questioned, she confirmed that she had seen the ghost, but that she was not frightened by it. At that point, several of the party left, but but at about seven the next morning, the knocking began again. (gasps) Following the usual questions about the cause of Fanny's death and who was responsible, the interrogation turned to her body, which lay in the vaults of St. John's. Ooh. Spooky. Yeah. Parsons agreed to move his daughter to Aldrich's house for further testing on January 22nd. 
but when that morning Penn and a man of, quote, veracity and fortune, end quote. What? What are these, like two unnamed noblemen? Some man of veracity, veracity and fortune? <laughs> <laughs> who, who did this? Uh, called on Parsons and asked for Elizabeth. The clerk told them she was not there and refused to reveal her whereabouts. Mm. Parsons had spoken with friends and was apparently worried that Kent had been busy with his own investigations. Huh. Yeah. Instead, he allowed Elizabeth to be moved that night to St. Bartholomew's Hospital, where another seance was held. Well, oh, come on. There's so many seances. <laughs> Nothing. And they keep taking her away from it because, like, mm-hmm. oh, she's having such a bad time. And mm-hmm. then they're like, you know what? Even though we're taking you to this, like, safe house hospital, we're uh-huh. going to have another seance yeah. there. Like, <laughs> every part of it makes zero sense. Nope. Nothing was reported until about 6 a.m., when three scratches were heard, apparently while the girl was asleep. The approximately 20-strong audience complained that the affair was a deception. Mm -hmm. Once Elizabeth woke, she began to cry, and once reassured that she was safe, admitted that she was afraid for her father, quote, who must needs be ruined and undone. (laughs) This is a direct quote. (laughs) (laughs) If their matter should be supposed to be an imposture. End quote. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense that it wouldn't work at a hospital. Right. Except for a couple scratches, which are probably a fluke. Right. Mm. She also admitted that although she had appeared to be asleep, she was in fact fully aware of the conversation going on around her. Initially, only the public ledger reported on the case, but once it became known that noblemen had taken an interest and visited the ghost at Mr. Bray's house on January 14th, Mm -hmm. the story began to appear in other newspapers. The story spread across London, and by the middle of January, the crowds gathered outside the property were such that Cock Lane was rendered impassable. (gasps) Nice. Yeah. Parsons charged visitors an entrance fee to talk with the ghost, okay. which it was reported did not disappoint. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Right. After receiving several requests to intercede, Samuel Fludyer, Lord Mayor of London, was on January 23rd approached by Alderman Gosling, John Moore, and Parsons. Uh, Alderman Gosling, I can only assume, is Ryan Gosling. (laughs) (laughs) He just changes his name every hundred years or so. Uh, They told him of their experiences, but Flutire Flutire was reminded of the then-recent case of fraudster Elizabeth Canning and refused to have Kent or Parsons arrested on charges of murder and conspiracy, respectively. Instead, against a a backdrop of hysteria caused in part by the newspaper's relentless reporting of the case, he ordered that Elizabeth be tested at Aldrich's house, which is what that guy wanted in the first place. Yeah, okay. Meanwhile, Elizabeth was again the subject of study in two seances held January 23rd and 24th. Jeez Louise. This girl, there's no way she grew up normal after all these seances. Absolutely Uh, not. Nope. Elizabeth was taken on January 26th to the house of Jane Armstrong, sleeping there in a hammock. Cute. The continued noises strengthened the resolve of the ghost's supporters. 
While the press's ceaseless reporting of the case continued, Horace Walpole, 4th Earl of Orford. All right. (laughs) That's just made up. That doesn't. Horace Walpole, (laughs) 4th Earl of Orford. (laughs) Sure. Sure. England. All right. Whatever, England. No wonder we left you. (laughs) Uh, He announced that with the Duke of York, Lady Northumberland, Lady Mary Coke, (laughs) and Lord Hertford, <laughs> so this is like i mean some group of like rich people Snubs. celebs of the day mm-hmm. he was to visit cock lane on january 30th can you imagine the announcement <laughs> horace walpole is to visit cock lane, cock lane. <laughs> oh man to see the ghost of cock lane mm, delicious <laughs> <laughs> After struggling through the throngs of interested visitors, though, he was ultimately disappointed. The public advertiser observed that, quote, the noise is now generally deferred till seven in the morning, it being necessary to vary the time that the imposition may be the better carried on, end quote. With Lord Dartmouth, Aldrich uh, began to draw together the people who would be involved in his investigation. They chose the matron of a local lying-in hospital as principal lady-in-waiting. The critic and controversialist... What the hell is a controversialist? (laughs) Like someone who just does controversy? (laughs) The critic and controversialist Bishop John Douglas and Dr. George Macaulay. Culkin? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. George Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) A Captain Wilkinson was also included on the committee. Sure. He had attended one seance armed with a pistol and stick. Oh my gosh. The to form- kill a ghost that's already dead? <laughs> uh. Uh, the former to shoot the source of the knocking and the latter to make his escape. The ghost had remained silent on that occasion. Interesting. Yeah. Too afraid. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Afraid of light and guns. Yeah, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) James Penn and John Moore were also on the committee, but its prominent member was Dr. Samuel Johnson, who documented the seance held on February 1st, 1762. (laughs) So Samuel Johnson, um, you probably don't recognize his name, but you would recognize his portrait because what? it's used as a meme. <gasps> Stop it. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. This guy? <gasps> no way. <Yeah. laughs> oh my gosh. He's the <laughs> like looking yeah, confused at a book and then he looks up and he's angry about it. <laughs> but he's also still just confused. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what the hell? Oh, man. <laughs> what did I just Stop read? It. This I is me reading through it. this uh, story. I can't believe that he is a real person that I'm learning about right now. <laughs> I know. I know. I, for some reason, had assumed that he was just, like, someone drew him. Like, mm-hmm. obviously someone drew him. But, like, someone nowadays drew him <laughs> because his face is so ridiculous. It is. Like, it doesn't make sense that someone would spend a year and a half <laughs> painting <laughs> This beautiful yeah. oil painting of this guy that just is like what? Like, what you would have had to stand what? for that, right? Like, <laughs> you would definitely have to. 
Jake looked more confused. You looked more confused yesterday when I was here. Now you look just angry, too confused. I just, oh my God, I love it. Anyway. (laughs) On the night of the 1st of February, many gentlemen eminent for their rank and character were, by the invitation of the Reverend Mr. Aldrich of Clerkenwell, this sounds like a Bridgerton episode. (laughs) (laughs) Assembled at his house for the examination of the noises supposed to be made by a departed spirit for the detection of some enormous crime. About 10 at night. Did I mention that this was this is what Samuel Johnson is writing? This is directly from him. Oh, no way. Yes. Wild. Sorry. I'm like two sentences. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is his. Um recap of the seance okay about 10 at night the gentlemen met in the chamber in which the girl supposed to be disturbed by a spirit had with proper caution been put to bed by several ladies so she's not just getting undressed in the middle of the room anymore (laughs) she's moved on up good for her they sat rather more than an hour and hearing nothing went downstairs when they interrogated the father of the girl who denied in the strongest terms any knowledge or belief of fraud. The supposed spirit had before publicly promised by an affirmative knock that it would attend one of the gentlemen into into the vault under the church of St. John Clerkenwell, where the body is deposited, and give a token of her presence there by a knock upon her coffin. Which is very scary. It is very scary. <laughs> Um, it was therefore determined to make this trial of the existence or veracity of the supposed spirit. While they were inquiring and deliberating, they were summoned into the girl's chamber by some ladies who were near her bed and who had heard knocks and scratches. When the gentleman entered, the girl declared that she felt the spirit like a mouse upon her back. Ew. Isn't that... The worst story. Yeah, that's the creepiest <laughs> description. Uh huh. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard anything like that before, and nope. I don't like it. <laughs> and was required to hold her hands out of bed. From that time, though the spirit was very solemnly required to manifest its existence by appearance, by impression on the hand or body of any present, by scratches, knocks, or any other agency. No evidence of any preternatural power was exhibited. It's a long-winded way of saying nothing else happened. (laughs) (laughs) The spirit was then very seriously advertised that the person to whom the promise was made of striking the coffin was then about to visit the vault and that the performance of the promise was then claimed. Wow. The company at one o'clock went into the church and the gentleman to whom the promise was made, went with another into the vault. The spirit was solemnly required to perform its promise, but nothing more than silence ensued. Mm. The person supposed to be accused by the spirit then went down with several others, but no effect was perceived. Upon their return, they examined the girl, but could draw no confession from her. Between two and three, she desired and was permitted to go home with her father. It is therefore the opinion of the whole assembly that the child has some art of making or counterfeiting a particular noise and that there is no agency of any higher cause. Wow. There it is. Yeah. I believe it. She's an artful girl. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) 
I was going to say, you believe that it happened or you believe no, Samuel Johnson I believe that it, that it was not, it did not happen. Yeah. Because anytime that they were actually doing uh, something not scientific, but like right. they were testing it, yeah. it failed, yeah. it seemed like. Like, I mean, it, it happened too many times that they were like, oh, hey, you guys leave the room for a second. Uh-huh. And then everyone came back and then suddenly there were noises. <laughs> uh-huh. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Disappointed that the ghost had failed to reveal itself, Moore now told Kent he believed it was an imposter and that he would help reveal it. Kent asked him to admit the truth and write an affidavit of what he knew so as to end the affair and restore Kent's reputation, but Moore refused, telling him that he still believed that the spirit's presence was a reminder of his sin. Which is shitty. (laughs) Moore's view of the couple's relationship was shared by many, including Mrs. Parsons, who believed that the supposed ghost of Elizabeth Kent had disapproved of her sister's new relationship. Another seance on February 3rd saw the knocking continue unabated, but by then, Parsons was in an extremely difficult and serious situation. Keen to prove the ghost was not an imposter, he allowed his daughter to be examined at a house on the Strand from the 7th of February to the 10th of February, and at another house in Convent Garden from on February 14th. Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. There she was tested in a variety of ways, which included being swung up in a hammock, her hands and feet extended. No. As expected, the noises commenced, but stopped once Elizabeth was made to place her hands outside the bed. Ew. (gasps) What was she doing? I don't she was like rapping on her skull or something yeah, terrible. Maybe Yuck. she's a super bony person. <laughs> For two nights, the ghost was silent. Elizabeth was told that if no more noises were heard by February 21st, she and her father would be committed to Newgate Prison. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Her maid then saw her conceal on her person a small piece of wood about six by four inches. And informed the investigators. More scratches were heard, but the observers concluded that Elizabeth was responsible for the noises and that she had been forced by her father to make them. Elizabeth was allowed home shortly after. Yikes. On or about February 25th, a pamphlet sympathetic to Kent's case was published called The Mystery Revealed. Meanwhile, Kent was still trying to clear his name, and on February 25th, he went to the vault at St. John's, accompanied by Aldrich, the undertaker, the <gasps> clerk, and the parish sexton. Sexton? <laughs> Are they going to look? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> oh. I don't know what else they'd be doing there. Right. <laughs> the group was there to prove beyond any doubt that a recent newspaper report, which claimed the supposed removal of Fanny's body from the vault, accounted for the ghost's failure to knock on her coffin was false oh yeah so for some reason a paper was like someone took the body from the coffin and that's why you couldn't hear her knock yikes <laughs> i d- that seems like a huge yeah step but yeah. all right agreed w- are they gonna find it there i, I gotta know, know. I'm <laughs> <into> the, <needles. laughs> the undertaker removed the lid to expose fanny's corpse <laughs> quote and quote and a very awful, shocking sight it was, end quote. 
For more, this was too much, and he published his retraction. So, it was so there. she was there. She yeah, was and there. she her her rotting corpse was there. Eek. Yeah. Oh no. No, no uh, formaldehyde or anything. Boo. So just pure rot. So this is John Moore's retraction. Okay. Injustice to the person whose reputation has been attacked in a most gross manner by the pretended ghost in Cock Lane to check the credulity of the weak, to defeat the attempts of the malicious, and to prevent further imposition. On account of this absurd phenomenon, I do hereby certify that though from the several attendances on this occasion I have not been able to point out how and in what manner those knockings and scratchings of the supposed ghost were contrived, performed, and continued. That sentence, like, (laughs) so so long, so stupidly long. God, it's like everyone's got a thesaurus <laughs> and they're like, how many, how can I make this sentence six words longer? <laughs> um, yet that I am convinced that those knockings and scratchings were the effects of some artful, wicked contrivance and that I was in a more especial manner, especial, especial <laughs> convinced of its being such on the first of this month when I attended with several persons of rank and character who assembled at the Reverend Mr. Aldrich's Clerkenwell in order to examine into this in iniquitous imposition upon the public, period. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> since, since which time I have not seen the child, nor heard the noises, and think myself in duty bound to add that the injured person, when present to hear himself accused by the pretended ghost, has not, by his behavior, oh given the... <laughs> given the least ground of suspicion but has preserved that becoming steadfastness which nothing i am persuaded but innocence could inspire jeez the end (laughs) this is like a student writing a paper that has to be like 700 (laughs) words in their life (laughs) therefore I do hereby certify. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, okay, we're almost done. It was not enough to keep him from being charged by the authorities with conspiracy, along with Richard Parsons and his wife, Mary Fraser, and Richard James, a tradesman, who has never been mentioned before. (laughs) Wait, so they were all? Yeah. Oh no. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Why the fuck would he be involved in that? Yeah. What? I mean, I guess, I guess unless he was being charged. No, because it just says by the authorities with conspiracy. And some of those people, weren't those the people that had to leave the room for a couple minutes? And then when they came back, maybe not. No. No, they no. they were all in yeah. the room. Yeah. Okay. No, um, right. There it is. Richard James, maybe he's the one who made the piece of wood that <laughs> What's-Your-Face was scratching, scratching on. Yikes. The trial of all five was held at the Guild Hall in London on July 10th, uh, 1762. Presiding over the case was Lord Chief Justice William Murray. Uh, the courtroom was crowded with spectators who watched as Kent gave evidence against those in the dock. He told the court about his relationship with Fanny and of her resurrection as Scratching Fanny. <laughs> scratching Fanny? Oh my gosh. Which is a great name. <laughs> 
James Franzen was next on the stand, his story corroborated by Fanny's servant, Esther Carrots Carlisle, who testified later that day. Dr. Cooper, who had served Fanny as she lay dying, told the court that that he had always believed the strange noises in Cock Lane to be a trick, Mm -hmm. and his account of Fanny's illness was supported by her apothecary, James Jones. Several other prosecution witnesses described how the hoax had been revealed, and Richard James was accused by the prosecution's last witness of being responsible for some of the more offensive material published in the public ledger. Why would they call him a tradesman, then? Hmm. The defensive... The d- defense's witnesses included some of those who had cared for Elizabeth Parsons and who presumably still believed that the ghost was real. Other witnesses included the carpenter responsible for removing, removing the wainscoting from Parsons' apartment and Catherine Friend, who, to escape the knocking noises, had left the property. Hmm. One witness's testimony caused the court to burst into laughter, at which she replied, I assure you, gentlemen, it is no laughing matter, whatever you may think of it. Ooh, feisty. <laughs> the trial ended at about 9.30 p.m. The judge spent about 90 minutes summing up the case, but it took the jury only 15 minutes to reach a verdict of guilty for all five d- defendants. Whoa. They weren't ready to believe in the supernatural today. Mm-hmm. And this is not a good time to be found guilty. Yeah. I mean, it's not today either, but... <laughs> It's worse back then, I think. Yeah. The following Monday, two others responsible for defaming Kent were found guilty and later fined 50 pounds each. The conspirators were brought back on November 22nd. Sentencing was delayed in the hope that they could agree on the level of damages payable to Kent. Mm -hmm. Having failed to do so, they returned on January 27th, 1763, and were committed to the King's Bench Prison until February 11th. By which time John Moore and Richard James had agreed to pay Kent 588 pounds. Oh my gosh. That can only be uh, like $8 billion. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely $8 billion. Wow. An insane amount of money. I believe it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They were subsequently admonished by Justice Wilma and released. The following day, the rest were sentenced. The court choosing that Mr. Kent, who had been so much injured on the occasion, should receive some reparation by punishment of the offenders, deferred giving judgment for seven or eight months in hopes that the party might make it up in the meantime. Accordingly, the the clergyman and tradesmen agreed to pay Mr. Kent a round sum. The father was ordered to be set in the pillory three times in one month. Once, I don't know what that means. Mm -mm. Elizabeth, his wife, to be imprisoned one year. And Mary Fraser, six months in Bridewell with hard labor. The father, appearing to be out of his mind at the time he was first to standing in the pillory, the execution of that part of his sentence was deferred to another day, when, as well as the other day of his standing there, the populace took so much compassion on him that instead of using him ill, they made a handsome subscription for him. So a pillory, first of all, is one of those pieces of woods with uh, with three holes, two Stop. for hands and one for a head. They're like, yeah. oh my god, oh no! <laughs> they still had those had in, the in the 18th uh, century. Apparently, it yeah. seems like a medieval times thing. <laughs> because of uh, a knight's tale. Yes, <laughs> that was exactly the first thing that I thought of. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. 
Yeah. Oh, my God. Wild. Parsons, although protesting his innocence, was also sentenced to two years imprisonment. He stood in the pillory on March 16th, March 30th, and finally on April 8th. Oh. In contrast to other criminals, the crowd treated him kindly, making collections of money for him. So that's... What? That's a quick... Nobody threw any rotten tomatoes at him. I guess not. Disappointing. <laughs> so apparently Charles Dickens mentions or made, makes reference to the Cock Lane ghost in several of his books. No. In Nicholas Nickleby, uh, did have you have you seen that? I've seen the movie. Me too. I liked it a lot when I, I was younger. Yeah, I did too. Uh, um, he also mentions Cock Lane, the Cock Lane Ghost, in A Tale of Two Cities and Dombey and Son. So I've heard of A Tale of Two Cities, but I don't know about the other one. According to a 1965 source, the site of Parsons Lodgings corresponded to the building with the modern address 20 Cock Lane. <gasps> The house was believed to have been built in the late 17th century and was demolished no. in 1979. Oh, big bummer. Yeah. Mm. That is a big bummer. Anyway, that is the freakishly long story. Oh, my gosh. Of the that was wild. I, uh, I can't believe that there's still a place called Cock Lane. I know. No one changed it over the mm. years? <laughs> I mean, so it's. I don't believe that it's real. Well, Oh, yeah, uh, no, I don't either. But it's interesting that I lasted mean, for so long, too, like a couple years? Yeah, years? I mean, wow. a bunch of crazy stuff going on, million seances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, all right, there's our ghosts. Well, <laughs> uh, shameless shout out, uh, we still have a Patreon. We do. And feel free to support us that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this takes time and energy and mm-hmm. yeah. So <laughs> I guess this is where we say, see you later, girls and boys. Bye. Bye. Uh-huh. Let me put all of my work into my work.